Good afternoon, everybody. My name's Debbie Evans, and I'm the nursing correspondent for UK Column. And on this very hot, sunny July afternoon, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Ros uh, Jones, a retired consultant paediatrician, and Dr. Christian Buckland, psychotherapist. And on that note, I'd just like to introduce um, a couple of words before we move on to speak to Dr. Jones in that I'm sure everyone will know by now that UK Column have been following the serious adverse reactions from the COVID-19 vaccine. And we've been discussing it for many months. Um, we've repeatedly highlighted the MHRA data um, and we've spoken to many people with vaccine injuries. Um, as yet, I know our viewers will know already that I've been pretty much stonewalled by the MHRA and we haven't received the answers to the questions we've put to them. Um, people that have been vaccine injured as of now have been completely ignored and, and aren't receiving any kind of help whatsoever. This is something that we've always been very concerned with. But we've noticed that from the House of Commons Committee of Public Accounts, published on July the 4th, 2022, that the next stage of the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccination programme would be to appear to vaccinate five to 11 year olds. Now we're very concerned that the government would choose to prioritise more vaccinations, particularly in young healthy children, when we still haven't investigated uh, 450,000 and climbing serious adverse reports that have been put into the MHRA. So we've been particularly alarmed about this, especially as the MHRA give us no indication of ages. So we very much have to go on the VAERS data, which I know that um, you'll be talking about, Dr. Jones. Mm -hmm. So we're alarmed at the numbers and we're confused at why there would be this sudden push to vaccinate this age group, which appears to contradict the JCVI advice given in February. So are we to expect an autumnal childhood vaccination drive for COVID-19 and also possibly um, a flu vaccination drive for the same age children, five to 11? So I think we're asking ourselves, Dr. Jones, is, is this normal? Um, should we be concerned? Um, is there anything we should be aware of? Um, and then after that we've spoken to you, Dr. Jones, I'd really like to um, ask Dr. Buckland to intervene with his thoughts on the perspective of, from a psychological perspective on how this could impact um, our five to 11 year olds and our, basically our primary schoolers. So Dr. Jones, welcome and thank you so much on this warm sunny day. It's really lovely to, for you to have joined us and we know your time's precious, so thank you. Can I just ask you, what are your thoughts on this supposed agenda that we're seeing could be rolled out? It's, thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, it seems quite ludicrous really, because back when the JCVI looked into vaccinating this young primary school age group in February, they were very lukewarm about it. If you look at the minutes of those meetings, there was lots of discussion about the fact that they didn't really have enough long-term data. Well, they just don't have long-term data for children. The children's trial was extremely small um, and the children's trials have effectively been rolled up after about two months. And as with the adult trials, then the people who were in the 
placebo group have been vaccinated, which makes it very difficult to then get proper long-term safety data. So that, there, there's a big question mark over this. And then it comes to the efficacy. And they pointed out in February that already 85% of children in the primary age group have had COVID. So they've already got good natural immunity. And then they said that they were going to give a non-urgent offer starting in April. So by April, it was up to 95%. It's now probably 98%. So I, I just think the bizarre thing is, when in history have we ever offered a routine vaccination to people for a disease they've already had? And in the first year of the pandemic, a lot of time was spent rubbishing natural immunity, uh, which never made sense, because to my mind, the whole vaccine industry is working around trying to do its best to mimic natural immunity. So if we couldn't make natural immunity to COVID, then we weren't going to get a decent vaccine. Um, and it was highly likely that natural immunity would be better, um, or certainly as good as. Now, as the time, as the data's rolled out, it's very apparent, and we all can see people who are triply vaccinated are catching COVID at a higher rate than the unvaccinated. Um, and even in terms of prevention of serious disease and death, natural immunity is the best. There's a very good paper just from Qatar where they, that was in adults, but they've done the same for children. Um, and whatever variant it was, whether you'd had COVID right back in March 2020 and you've got Omicron in March 2022, you know, you had a diminishing protection over time against catching Omicron not against catching the previous variants. And this is the thing we've seen, that Omicron seems to be sufficiently different to be a problem. But then they looked at protection against serious illness, hospitalizations and deaths. They found that natural infection from any variant at all against any variant was 97%. And it was still maintained 18 months on. So why would you be giving children a vaccine, which we know from the adult work, isn't gonna last? Um, there's also been a study from the states where they've rolled out the children's vaccine that actually showed that for children, the primary age, age children, the immunity lasted even less time than the adults. I think probably because they've used a lower dose because they were worried about side effects. So they've used a smaller dose to try and reduce side effects. And they found that by six weeks after their second dose of Pfizer, the five to 11 year olds had negative protection. In other words, you were more likely to catch it if you were vaccinated than if you were unvaccinated. So I would ask a parent to think seriously, why would you want, why would you think your child needs this? You know they've had COVID and if they've had COVID, you know they had it mildly and they recovered and all their friends have had COVID. And then that turns us to the safety issue and I think we've seen short-term very worrying trends from particularly young adults seem to be at much more risk from the vaccines than the older age group. And you're always balancing benefit and risk. So if you're at high risk from COVID because you're elderly and have comorbidities, you might accept some risks. But if you're getting into the situation as a child, your risk from COVID is lower and lower and lower. But at the same time, your risk from the vaccine is actually higher because your immune system is very active and the side effects mostly are immune mediated. So you get to the point where, the, where it's gone completely the wrong way. Um, the biggest area of side effects that I would be worried about too is on immune function. We don't have any idea what this vaccine is really doing to immune function, which controls not only 
reinfection from COVID, but also for other infectious diseases, um, protecting you against cancers in future because your T cell function controls removing abnormal cells in your own body routinely as well. So it doesn't just fight infections, it fights cancers. Um, so if we think that they don't need it anyway, why would we want to give it when we still don't have proper long-term safety data? No, that's a, an, an excellent question. And we've spoken um, before on UK Column about the thymus gland and T cells and how important it is uh, for children, uh, for their thymus glands to work and for them to be able to um, increase their antibodies. So we know that children have the most amazing immune systems. Why would you want to put it at any risk? And, you know, I am obviously concerned and want to see the data on what effect it is having on children's immune systems completely. But as we have no MHRA safety data on ages, would you be able to share with us? Well, I know that you will be able to, and I think they're really very sobering and very staggering. The latest VAERS data, which is the United States data for serious adverse reactions where they do specify age. Yes, yeah, so this is from age six months to 17 years as of the 8th of July, and deaths 124. I, you know, I just think that, you know, people will say, obviously, we've prevented some deaths from um, COVID, and that may be. But if you take the US, United States population is about five times ours. So that's like saying we would have had 25 deaths here from the vaccines. Um, and VARS, like MHRA, is almost certainly under-reporting. Um, and the number of deaths of healthy children here is about six in total. And particularly if we take the primary age children, the sort of five to 11s, I think there were two deaths in healthy children. So, you know, we can't equate deaths from vaccine-related injuries if they're going to be higher than deaths from the disease. It, it, I just, I'm beyond, it, I'm speechless, really. What would the, um, I know that, um, I don't know if you've got the figures in front of you, but just the hospitalization figure was was pretty horrific too, and the adverse yes, uh, events yeah, on I mean, under. There was 124 deaths. It was 477 permanently disabled. It was, um, oh, 6,000 and something hospital. Oh, they're doing it a different way now. Yeah, 4,000 hospitalized and a further 9,000 who have not recovered in some way, 5,000 emergency room visits. And it's interesting, even if you take mild side effects, the, in the JCVI's own documents for the February decision about this age group, they showed that the American data suggesting that eight to 10% of primary school children given a Pfizer dose had a side effect sufficient to mean they had to miss more than one, at least one day of schooling. So these are not just, you know, oh, I've got a bit of a sore arm. These are sufficient to take you off school. So since the whole argument being used to persuade parents that their children needed the vaccines was to say, oh, we need them to keep schools open. And actually, if you look in that JCVI, I mean, it would be worth putting a link up at the end for, to the JCVI report. There's a figure in there which shows the expected school absence by whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. And overall, there's no difference at all. There's just this little step up for more school absence after a vaccination at the beginning and another little step up after eight weeks, presumably when you get your second dose. And by the end of three months of 
looking at total absence from COVID and from infection and from vaccination adverse events. No difference at all. So what are they giving it for? Well, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? And I personally don't see any reason for any child, any healthy child, especially to be vaccinated with a novel injection that we have no safety data on. It just seems that simple. Um, I don't know whether Dr. Buckland wants to come in at this point with anything um, or whether you'd like me to go straight to ask Dr. Jones another question. I, I, I'm fascinated by just listening to what, what Dr. Jones got to say. So, yeah, please continue. I'm happy just to sit here and listen at the moment. OK, uh, well, okay. While I was going to I might say something that you would come back in on. But one of the interesting things, the government seemed to be very worried. They, we've got this programme coming on television on Wednesday on BBC called Unvaccinated, where they seem to be wanting to look at why people aren't vaccinated. They've taken seven people on a sort of big brother style, put them in a house for five days together. Um, and interestingly, I haven't watched it yet, but as far as I know, none of them have changed their minds about getting vaccinated. But two things they've already put wrong in the run up to this programme is that they say about the five million unvaccinated, but it's not five million, it's 18.9 million. So it's like they're trying to make people who've chosen not to get the vaccine feel sort of as if they're a bit odd and a bit out on a limb. So I've got a really nice graph, which you might be able to put up, which shows the uptake of vaccine by age. And this is again, government data as of the report last week. Um, and it shows very nicely that the top age group, um, you know, the everybody over 80, over 75, over 70, down to about, 65 it's it's around over 90 percent uptake and then as you go down below that each age band certainly when you get below 50 each age band has taken it up less than the age um ahead of them which is entirely logical when you get down to school children in the secondary school there's a 53 percent uptake so virtually half the parents of primary school children have thought no they don't need it and then when you look at primary school children, it's even more, it's still less than 10%. This vaccine has been available since the 1st of April for children uh, in that age group. And we're now, you know, at the end of July. So less than 10% of parents. So if you're thinking, oh dear, everybody's having it, perhaps, particularly if you've got a partner or parents or people, you know, grandparents pressing you to get your child vaccinated, I think it's quite helpful to know that you're really not alone. Actually, the vast majority of parents agree with you that this is not necessary and it's not wise and I just think that's priceless I have to say that's incredible priceless information because basically what we're saying is that young children don't need the vaccine and parents don't want their children to have the vaccine so there is no reason to push it if it's something that children don't need or parents don't no. want I think that's right and if you look back at the JCVI documents from February they were very clear that this was to be a non-urgent offer, in quotes. It was put by the CMOs as well, um, that, you know, there must be informed, fully informed consent. And, you know, it was not a question of, of, you know, saying you need this vaccine to go to school or anything. It was just to be offered in effect to those parents who want it. And it's interesting, a lot of other, there are quite a few countries which have now stopped vaccinating children. Denmark, the Minister of Health has actually said, quite recently, that he thinks it was a mistake. They, there was nothing to be gained from it at all. Um, Norway and Holland have both said that 
they are not recommending it to children who've already had COVID. Um, but also, I think Norway are not recommending it for under 11s and nor Sweden because they're saying they don't really need it anyway. But they're not, they're not saying parents can't get it for their child. If the parents are really keen, well, it's available, but they are not recommending it. Um, and I think that says a lot. And yet we're certainly look like we're going to turn around and suddenly say, well, it was a non-urgent offer, but you haven't taken up on non-urgent offer. So what do we need to make you realise this is serious and we need you to get it? So that, I think that's over to you, Christian. What are they <laughs> going to do to try and persuade parents that despite it being a non-urgent offer, they really need to have it? Well, I, th I think you've highlighted probably the most important point here, and that is... At the moment, the uptake for young children is very low. Um, and we do need to emphasise that because right now, the risk benefit analysis that parents have gone through is actually pretty, pretty much relatively free from any form of, I don't know, marketing or psychology or behavioural science input. So it's saying that they've made a choice, an informed choice right now. The majority, as you've given me that figure, it's, it sounds like over 90% have said they don't want it. So I think it's really good to get a snapshot of today when we're where we're at, that people before any push or any drive for the children to be vaccinated is that the parents, majority of parents are saying they don't want or they've made the decision that it doesn't feel right for their child. And I think that's really, really important. And you, you, you also said something other, else that was really key. You, you, you mentioned that the figures seem to be kind of wrong for adults vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And I think that you know, if, if there's been that kind of argument or that question about that for quite a long time, what is the actual figure? And I've kind of wondered, maybe it's the cynic in me, is that a behavioural insight strategy? Because it reminds me of a technique that can be used where we try and encourage people to make men mental shortcuts because we know that we know in general people don't like making difficult decisions because there's a huge fear of getting it wrong. So if we tell everyone that everyone's already had a vaccine a lot of people go phew I don't need to make the decision because everyone else has gone through that difficult decision making process they come to the conclusion of what's right I'll just follow them so when there's an when there's a question about what number is accurate it does make me question why we're, we're having we're, we're struggling to find the right answer because I wouldn't have thought that would have been a difficult figure to find out no it's in the ONS data it comes out every week every week there's this vaccine surveillance report. I think they've now reduced it to once a fortnight, yeah. but it's there. And there's a graph always at, towards the end of the whole report on about page 60 something. Um, and you can see from the shape of the graph that, you know, at the beginning, when, when one age group comes eligible, you know, back, say, December 2020, when it was being rolled out for the over 80s, there's a quick uptake and then you reach a peak and it levels off. Um, and as each group have been offered it, they've had a reasonably reasonable uptake but they've all plateaued at a different level so and actually the some of the younger great age groups even the the rate of rise at the beginning when it first came became available has been much slower again while people think is this really a good idea i mean i just think back to when they were rolling out the the secondary school age the jcvi back is this is in summer 2021 um they initially said that they weren't recommending the vaccine for any children, any under 18s, healthy children, I should say. So those children with severe comorbidities that put them at high risk from COVID always could have the vaccine. It never needed to be rolled out to healthy children in order to enable that to happen. Um, but 
then they obviously got asked to review it because the government didn't like the JCPI's answer. So there's in the minutes, you can see that two days after the meeting, they've been asked by the CMO to have another meeting to reconsider. Um, and they've gone back and they've had another meeting. And at that next meeting, they thought, oh, well, okay, let's do 16 to 17s. But they said, we'll only give them one dose. And I thought that was interesting because that was at the time when all this data was coming out of Israel and Hong Kong about the risk from myocarditis, heart inflammation, being particularly more so after the second dose. So they said they would only give one dose. Um, and then eventually they met again in later in August and they said they still don't, didn't want to give it to 12 to 15s. But at that point, they said, maybe there's some educational reason, reason and let's pass it to the CMOs to look at. But right back at the point when they first had said nothing, right back in July when they'd said, or June, I should say, when they'd said they didn't want to give any children, one thing they did, which is quite curious, was they said 17-year-olds uh, three months before their 18th birthday. And I thought, that's a bit odd. Either you're 18 or you're not. Why do you need to have it three months before your 18th birthday? And then that evening, having read the JCBI meeting in the morning, that evening I was watching one of those endless government you know, press conferences, and there was Nadim Zahabi, who at that stage was vaccines minister. And he was saying about the uh, likely vaccine mandates for nightclubs. And it was at that point when they were saying, if you were, you know, anybody wanting to go to a nightclub was going to have to be vaccinated rather than just show a negative test. Um, and obviously then you thought, oh, hang on, if you want to go out clubbing on your 18th birthday, then it's no good if you get your vaccine on your 18th birthday, is it? You had to get it three months before, which then left you two months to get your second dose. So then another month to become immune, mm. and then you could go out. Bad luck on the friends that were slightly younger than you because they couldn't come out for your birthday celebrations. But, you know, I thought that's weird. So, and then of course, in the end, they dropped that vaccine mandate. But if you looked at the 16 to 17s, they had quite a high uptake. And I think a lot of them went for this thinking, you know, it's the step into the adult world now. I'll, you know, it just, it wasn't about health benefit at all. It was something quite coercive. And if you look, I think also at the, what's been going on this summer, again, they, they, the secondary school kids, they ran the vaccine clinics in schools. And there was quite a lot of worry about that because they were talking about using Gillick competence. And, you know, if you're in a, the, the school hall and your entire class are being called out and you're the only one whose parents have said no, and, and then you've got people turning, other kids turning around saying, oh, anti-vax, this, that, yeah. You know, it's just not a, not a good, suitable environment for open, informed consent. But with the primary school, they didn't, they didn't go for it in primary schools at all. So it's been up to parents to make the effort to go. And I think that's been much more appropriate. I don't think doing this, because it is controversial, it is a totally novel technology, as you mentioned earlier, Debbie. And you know, I think there are huge concerns and it obviously has been very divisive in society in a, a way that is not at all helpful for what's actually a personal medical choice. Um, and so I'm glad they've kept it out of primary schools because it, this doesn't have a place in school. Um, you know, resus, you know, if you had a child in your secondary school who was one of the ones who did collapse, what's that going to do for their psychological well-being, which was the argument for giving it in the first place, was to improve education and mental health. It was never about physical health. They agreed that the balance was much too close to say that these vaccines were good for children's physical health.
I think that's a really important point because yeah. what what you're also saying there is you know having this age group and I think this is so important not being offered the vaccination at school is really key because there was you know we, we were hearing reports of children feeling embarrassed to not be vaccinated and and so that always fits into sort of the behavioral science approaches of nudges using shame and and fear and guilt to get people to sort of do something that may may not have wanted to do um and so and that's my that's my concern i'm hoping if they are going to be increasing sort of the 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 want for uptake in this age group then i'm hoping it's all going to be about giving i don't know presenting accurate risk factors and protective factors not going along the route christian it'll be quite hard to do that because there isn't any data to support this as far as i can see so for example if you look at the trials the trials generally excluded people who'd already had covid now there's quite there's a good evidence that having had covid gives you long-term good quality protection and there's been quite a number of papers that have shown because obviously once they rolled it out you could you were being encouraged to come regardless of whether you'd had covid or not but that the people who'd had covid have more side effects from the vaccinations than people who haven't had COVID. So again, I think that should make parents really stop and think, do I actually want to add? You know, I think the thing is that the, the bit of the coronavirus that seems to have been the biggest problem is the spike protein. And it's the way it, it gets, it get, helps get the virus into, into the cells, but it also targets, you know, um, blood uh, vessel linings and so on and so forth. Now that's the same spike protein that they've used for the vaccine. So it's a bit unfortunate that the bit of the vaccine of the virus that's probably the most dangerous bit of it is the one that's been chosen for the vaccine. And what I think when we talk about immune function, one of the things again that's become a, a, a worry is if you are vaccinated, if you're first, if you were vaccinated before you'd ever had this virus, then your immune memory will be for the vaccine and the vaccine is against the original Wuhan strain. That's what they made the vaccine for. Um, and if you then um, get an, a new infection with Omicron, or even if you then get vaccinated with this new Omicron vaccine which they're producing, if you've already been vaccinated with the Wuhan one, you still make spike antibodies to the original Wuhan strain. So it's as if your immune system has already learnt Ah, oh, that's what I'm meant to do when I see this vaccine. Um, and which is why it's particularly, I think, hazardous for young children, whose the whole point is their immune system is very, very effective. They've got much better upper airway immunity than adults have. Um, you know, they are designed to fight. People talk mm -hmm. about novel viruses, but you know, for a newborn baby, every bug they meet is novel, isn't it? But they have to survive it because otherwise the human race would have died out millennia ago so actually we should have more faith in in our yeah. own immune system and trust that then they'll be having an immune system that's then trained and geared up that when they meet other infections the next one will be easier to deal with and so on but once we get their immunity trained on a particular strain of a, a strain that's no longer around it's just not there anymore and the same will happen if we make a new omicron vaccine instead um, is that then, you know, next year, that'll be no good. And we don't know the damage that this is having on these children's immune systems. And, you know, I've always, I was always brought up with, 
you know, children climbing trees and getting covered in mud and, you know, yeah. boosting up your immunity. You need children to get dirty and to be playing with one another and to be exposed yeah. Yeah. to things. Otherwise, they stand no hope when they're older. So it absolutely makes no sense. But I think what's really important is for anybody listening now, especially parents of primary school children, is that they should know that they're not alone if they're not wanting to vaccinate their children. They are in the majority, not the minority. This is not something that people at the school gates are thinking of doing. The majority of people that you're meeting at school on a one-to-one basis are probably feeling exactly the same as you. So I think for these parents not to feel isolated and to to stay stand firm and to keep eyes open and ears to the ground is a really important message and to have faith in their children's immune systems, which are beautiful <laughs> and need so. to I, learn. I, I would absolutely say to parents, just, you know, almost I'd say your gut instinct on this is gonna be yeah. better than, you know, all the modeling and the data that anybody can throw at you, which, um, you know, is incomplete. And I mean, the, the whole way the trials have been designed is designed to, to obfuscate, to hide the, the long-term damage. Because, you know, I was really worried when I heard that the um, placebo group, the, the, the controls had all been given the, off the vaccine after six months. You know, that's not the way we normally target a new drug. No. You you have to be quite brave to roll up your sleeve and say, "I'll take a completely novel vaccine that I've, nobody's using." But surely you should have been, been equally brave to say, "You know, I'll take this novel vaccine, but if it turns out I've had the placebo, then equally I'll take my chance with COVID." Wouldn't that be a, a balanced approach? And we're not talking about the elderly and the the high high risk because they weren't really in the trials at the beginning. The trials were young; they were the young and healthy. So they didn't need to be vaccinated. So why did Pfizer, it was Pfizer's suggestion, it wasn't the FDA, Pfizer went to the FDA and said, we think it would be quite unethical. Once we've shown it's effective, we obviously must be allowed to offer it to all our wonderful volunteers for the trial. Uh, and I think Pfizer and ethical statements kind of grates a bit in my book. Well, this is it. Well, we have no had no follow up from any of the manufacturers, from any of the pharmaceutical companies. Nobody's investigating the serious adverse reactions that we're already seeing. And it doesn't give me any confidence. Should there be a drive in the future to vaccinate this age group of children in if anybody's going to follow up? Because the farmers, the pharmaceutical companies don't seem to be taking any kind of responsibility at all. No, and clearly they wanted to keep all their data yeah. I mean, they wanted to wait 75 years to publish any of their trial data. And there was an article in the BMJ about this because actually normally for drug trials to get them published in a peer review, you know, high quality journal, you have to provide the data, obviously, you know, anonymized and so on. But you have to provide the data so that other people can reanalyze it and check you've got it right. But the drug companies haven't done that at all. Mm. And then in the end, they've only had to publish it because there's been um, a legal challenge in the States. Um, They were taken to court and they've been forced to change instead of 75 years, which they'd asked for, to do it all over eight months. So we haven't got all the data, but most of it. And the last lot's coming in August, I think. Um, And then it will all be out there. But, you know, it doesn't make some for cheery reading going through what they have published so far. No, I quite agree. I would have much preferred we didn't know about it. Um, if I could just ask you, 
one final question and ask you for a final comment before I maybe just ask Dr. Buckland if he just wants to come in with anything too, to add anything before we finish. In that, you know, I was thinking when I was a child, I was always taught um, that I wouldn't go and visit great uncle Hector or great granny if I had a cold or if I had a tummy bug because it just wasn't fair. And it was good manners that you didn't visit vulnerable members of the family or friends if if you were poorly we we stayed at home and it was common sense so common sense and manners seem to have been forgotten and i'm just concerned at the messaging that the governments are using um, and that scientists are using for children to be vaccinated in order to protect members of their own families you know to yeah. fear children in to protect grannies such as such as myself because I always thought that a vaccine was to protect the person not the environment or members of your family necessarily so I just wondered what your thoughts were on that well I think I think in the first place if it worked then I still wouldn't think it was ethical it's it's not right for children to be expected to act as a human shield for their yeah. grandparents it, and I don't think most I mean I'm a grandparent the last thing I would want would be to put any of my grandchildren at extra risk from mm. a vaccine they didn't need for themselves yeah. if they were being put into a negative risk that benefit for my sake that's not realistic that's not reasonable but of course it doesn't work anyway because we've seen clearly and we've you know got it straight from you know the prime minister uh, who I think is still Boris Johnson, um, and, you know, the other, you know, Sajid um, Javid and so on, that the current Omicron is not prevented. You know, it might reduce serious illness and death, but it does not prevent you catching and passing it on. And in fact, it, it, the last lot of data from the, this vaccines report showed that if you were triply vaccinated, you had a higher risk per 100,000 people than if you were unvaccinated. So presumably because most of the unvaccinated have actually already had COVID. So they've probably got good natural immunity, which is working better than the triple vaccinated immunity. Um, so it, it's not fair to put that onto children. It was the same with the masks, you know, uh, you know, primary school parents wearing masks at the school gate makes children come out of the school, feel as if they must be contagious and dangerous. And I mean, it's just an awful thing to do. And, and that early messaging was really don't kill your granny, wasn't it? Yes, it I'm was. sure Christian, you'd have something to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there has been so much unethical psychology that's been used um, just in terms of sort of nudges, which everyone thinks a nudge is nice and innocent and not going to do much damage. But, you know, there was fear, shame and guilt being used. And we've 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 touched on all of them so far. Fear by artificially inflating risk factors and discounting protective factors, making everyone afraid to make decisions that weren't really true, weren't really sort of accurate. We've seen shame, you know, we saw people being told that we want um, people to shame their neighbours into complying and wearing masks. And my, my worry at the moment is that children could be shamed into, you know, not having that vaccine and being bullied because they're the only one who hasn't. Those things really worry me, but you rightly said about the guilt, when I look back at those those advertisements that were specifically designed to make people feel guilty, I can never understand how they were allowed to be used. I, I really did have children telling me, you know, I'm so worried I'm going to kill people. And I, and I wonder, you know, there will have been children back in 2020 whose grandparents died for whatever reason. 
Yeah. And I'm really worried that some of them will have believed that they killed their granny yeah. and yeah. that will have severely damaged them for the rest of their life because that will impact how they how they process death. So, yeah. I, I, and, and this is this is my concern here, I think, is if there is um, a drive to increase the uptake for this age group, and as you've just sort of corrected me there, Ros, about, you know, there is going to be no risk factors versus and, and protective factors that are, are going to influence people that this is a good decision, then they're going to be using, unfortunately, the sort of psychological techniques and the behavioural science. And that that does worry me because I know, well, I, I just know that that has caused so much psychological and physical harm over the past couple of years. So I really hope the government do not go down that that route again, because you know, you know, in addition to the nudges, I'm worried that there's going to be a repetition of what you were implying there about the nightclubs, that, you know, holidays, restrictions for holidays could come back, or entrance to different places, because that's really unfair on parents, because it plays on their conscience as to what's the right thing to do, as, as parents really don't want their children missing out on important milestones, such as school trips and holidays. So, deciding to then have a vaccine because you don't want them missing out on a school trip is really unethical to put a parent in that double bind. And and I, those... think, I think we all know adults who've taken the vaccine just because they wanted to travel. Mm. You know, we were told it was the way for us to get back to normal. And yet here we are, we're now roughly back at normal in terms of all the restrictions in the vast majority of countries in the world have gone. So there were people who got vaccinated in order to go somewhere that they booked. By the time they got to go to that place, they didn't need to have been vaccinated, yes. but they've then had it. Now, if you've had it with no side effects, that, that's great. But if you've had it and you've had a vaccine injury, I think you would feel, understandably, extremely angry and, um, you know, betrayed, really, that you've been duped into having something against your better judgment slightly, and you'd had it because you thought you had to have it to travel, and then it turned out you didn't have to have it to travel, and now you're in a wheelchair with Guillain-Barre syndrome or something. It's just does not feel right. And I think, you know, I would come back to the sort of safer to wait campaign, really, which is that it's safer to wait till we know all the long term data for risks for these for children. And it's also safer to wait till we see how the whole pandemic has actually panned out, because it looks like it's doing what pandemics usually do, which is that each mutation has been more catching and less severe. And that's been the case, you know, where did the Spanish flu go? Um, and we may have actually interfered with that by vaccinating heavily, because what you're doing is instead of having a, a, a healthy cohort of people who are getting natural immunity, and then a high risk cohort of people who have been vaccinated, we've landed up with a much, much higher number vaccinated. And then you get that if viruses are going to mutate, they're going to mutate the thing that'll, they'll mutate randomly, but the one that continues is the one that gets a hold, it's going to have to be a vaccine resistant one if you're in a country where most people are vaccinated. So it's all, you know, it's all tinkering around with something that I don't think we sufficiently understand, actually. And, and I'll just, one thing I just want to say, is you kind of talked about the vaccine damage there, you know, as, as Debbie, you know, I've been involved in a documentary trying to raise awareness for adults who have been greatly injured. I really don't want to be asked to make a documentary about children who have been injured. I really don't. That to me would just be far too much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, for anybody that wants to see that documentary is on the UK Column website, Letter to My MP. 
Um, it's very sobering. Um, I'd recommend everybody watch it. Can I just then, to tie everything up, Dr. James, in, in one easy sentence, my question is, what is exactly your advice to parents going forward? I wouldn't go anywhere near this vaccine. I think that is as plain as we can make it. And my message would be to all parents watching, please, please share this wherever you can. And remember, you're not alone. Um, Dr. Ros Jones, Dr. Christian Buckland, thank you so much. Um, I really can't thank you enough. And I do hope we get to chat again soon. Um, and we'll be watching very carefully at what the government might be rolling out specifically for those primary school children. So thank you very much, both of you.